His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. This is often called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest sermon Jesus gave. Uh, Interestingly enough, depending on how fast you read it, it takes about 14 to 16 minutes for Jesus to give his longest sermon. And that's not a comment on how long sermons should be. They should be as long as the Holy Spirit wants. Amen. (laughs) But it didn't take him long to bring the beginning of his new covenant. The mountain's exact location is unknown. It was undoubtedly in Galilee, as the Bible says, apparently near Capernaum, as the place was a little bit level, as Luke records. Disciples refer not just to the twelve, but the crowds also following him. They were very amazed at his teaching. That's the end. Louis Babarini Jr. said this, The sermon shows how a person who is in a right relationship with God should conduct their life. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. If you want to be in a right relationship with God and you are not doing anything you're about to hear in the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday nights, then something is wrong. But if you are trying to do these things, if you are pursuing the Beatitudes and loving your enemies and and the Lord's Prayer, if you're pursuing these things earnestly in truth in your heart, not perfectly because you still have sin of the flesh, but purposefully you're going after God, you are in a right relationship with God, as you are being sanctified. We begin in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight, let us be poor in our spirit. Let us understand that help only comes from on high. Let us know truly, Lord, that without you, we own and have and are nothing. God, help us understand that I am poor on earth and I am poor in spirit when I know, Lord, that the only wealth of spirit comes from you. I can't find it anywhere else. I can't buy it anywhere else. I can't convince or argue my own soul and mind into it. I need you. And that is why. When I'm poor in spirit, I will be rich in heaven. We thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus starts immediately with an antithesis to almost every culture, especially 21st century American culture. The idea is never to be poor, right? We want to be what? Rich. Because you're sold a lie by your culture. If you just had the money, you'd have the time. And if you just had the time, you'd find the happiness that eludes you, right? Anybody hear about the slap this past week? I'm sorry, we got to talk about it. The richest people in the world, sitting in the most luxurious award show in the world, and one little joke causes physical violence. Now, I'm not harping on that any more than that. It will not make you happy. It won't satisfy you. We saw that on national television. It doesn't make you happy. Having the riches of the world will not satisfy what your soul needs, and your soul needs it. We must be like children. And why children? I begin to realize this. What does it mean to be poor? How do you know that you're poor? You're dependent. You don't have. You lack. You need. And who is dependent and lacks and has needs? The little child. And who knows that they have needs? Little children and those who are poor, 
These themes come up over and over again in Scripture. Become like a child. No one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless they are like a child. You must become poor. You must get low. You must be humble. Why? Why did Jesus say it's easier for a rich man, right? It's easier for the camel to get through the eye of a needle than to get into uh, heaven for a rich man. Why? Because riches cloud your judgment for necessity. You think you have enough. You think you're rich. And you can pay for health care. You can pay for security. You can pay for the greatest desires of your flesh. And you think those are going to make you happy. But God's not interested in doing those things for you. Even the Jews had this problem. The Pharisees loved to dress in the finest clothes and stand before all the audience and pray long prayers that made them sound very, very richly spiritual. But it was fake. It was wrong. It was evil against God. And Jesus is bringing the truth that you, if you want to be rich, you must become poor. If you want to be the greatest, you must become the least. If you want to be a king, you have to become a servant. And that's our problem. We're all wanting to be the king. We all want to be chief. We all want to be the boss. Instead of being what God called us to be, my little child who serves in my house. My, my little child who does their chores. My little child who listens. You must become like children. Totally dependent on the parent to take care of us. But we have a failure with human parenting because your parents have sinned. They're not perfect. It's often hard to find out for a small child sometimes. The first time they realize their parent is not perfect. But God in heaven, who calls himself our Father, has no sin, therefore he will not fail. Has no sin, which means he will not abuse, misuse, hurt, or cast you out. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4 say this. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, who's the greatest? How can I be the greatest? How can I be the best? And Jesus, instead of answering, calls a child to him, puts him there in the midst of them and says, truly I say to you, unless you turn, another word there for repentance, turn, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this shocked them. Because kids were in Jewish culture were meant to be seen and chores and work and not be heard. How dare you say I become like a little child? How dare you denigrate my manliness or my womanhood by saying I should be a little child? That's wrong. But Jesus is right. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become a little child. John chapter 3, Nicodemus shocked by his words, you will never be saved unless you are born again. Well, how can I be born again? Nicodemus went physical. How can I get into my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus says, no, it's a spiritual thing. Spirit blows where it wishes. You must become a child. Verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What do you want? Do you want the riches of earth? Because you can get them. But what will it cost you? God says it will cost you your soul. God says it will cost you everything. And then eternal damnation. That's what it will cost you. But the poor are blessed. The poor in spirit are blessed because they have only God to take care of their needs. The one who is poor in spirit understands that I can only get my help from God. Nowhere else will help me. 
Nowhere else will love me. Nowhere else will heal my wounds. Only my creator. It is so much better to be in that mental state. It is so much better to be spiritually laid bare before God instead of shut up with a stony heart. The poor are blessed because they have only God. And who do you have? For so long, so many of you have come into the cultural American church because somebody told you you ought to. Somebody told you it was going to change things. But it hasn't, has it? It didn't fix it, did it? The same problems are still at home. Mom and dad are still fighting, and the bills are still being unpaid, and the pantry's still empty. How's it helped? Because whoever told you that told you wrong. Maybe with the best of intentions, but they told you wrong. You don't need to be in church. Students, hear me now. You need to be in Christ. And how do we get in Christ? If you would, turn your Bibles to Ephesians. How do I become a child of God? Well, Ephesians is clear. The great adoption of your souls has to take place in the will and plan of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. You and I are adopted into God's family. He did not have to love you, but he did anyway. And it's not just loving a sweet little innocent child. Remember what we are. Sinners, full of evil, ready to murder, ready to kill. We're not talking about a sweet little innocent orphan, right? Like the movies. We're talking about a blood-stained, holding-the-knife murderer. That's who God is adopting. That's who he's bringing into his house, right? But he can't bring him into the house fully yet. Something's got to happen. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You have to go through Jesus Christ first. You cannot just get to God on your own accord, even if you're really sorry about sin, and even if you really want to be in heaven, that's not enough. Jesus said, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. And this he has predestined. It was in God's plan that he would put you here to hear the gospel. It was in God's plan that you would be saved. It is in God's plan that some of you right now, who are right now today looking at me, unconverted, I believe will one day be converted. And one day you'll remember the people at this church used to make fun of, whisper. I have seen some of you guys whispering and talking and thinking you're so clever like we don't know right? I mean, honestly, it's actually shameful because there's times I just don't care sometimes. And one day, that little seed of the gospel that got planted is going to wake up in you. And you're going to go, man, I had a student from over 10 years ago as an adult. Now, he's a fully adult man. Come up to me and said, Mr. Josh, I can't thank you enough for everything you used to do. I mean, it, it's, that's the only reason I, I sometimes I think I even know God now. I said, amen, but it wasn't me. Because if it had just been me, you would have said, thanks for all the paintball and the pizza. If it was just me, you would have said, thanks for the summer trips. If it was just me, you would have said, thanks for the dodgeball and the four square. But it's not. It's God. 
And this is in God's plan. He's predestined you for adoption. Think about that for a second. Think about God planning to bring you into his family, right? Even though you are a spiritual murderer, and who did you kill? Scripture says that he laid on a tree for your our sins, not his because he didn't have any, ours, right? So God planned before the beginning of time and our births, right, to love and adopt us who murdered and shed the blood of his son. Think about that. That would be like me planning before one of you were born to adopt you into my family after I knew you were going to kill one of my children. And after that event happened, I was not going to bring wrath upon you. I was going to instead love you. Bring you into the same house and the same table and feed you the same food and treat you as my own. That is what God has done for you. According to the purpose of his will. Verse 6, and why? And here's, memorize this, please. Please memorize Ephesians 1, 6. Why is God doing this? Why did he plan things this way? This answers the question of evil and even the fall in the garden. Why, why, why? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's why. That's why. Don't let the people on TikTok who are ex-evangelicals mess you up by going, well, if God's omniscient, why isn't he you know, beneficial? Why doesn't he do these things? Because to the praise of his glorious grace, God does not have to explain himself to anybody. Not at all. That's the answer. Moses questioned him at the burning bush, and he responded with, I am. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. And what did God do with his glorious grace? He blessed you. Your heart beats right now because of God's blessing. You draw breath because of God's blessing. You're going to eat spaghetti because of God's blessing. But you are called. And you are supposed to do, as Matthew 4.17 says, from the time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn to God and live. Or stay in your hard-necked rebellion, as Scripture says. But for those of us who do turn, for those of us who were predestined to be adopted by God, for us there is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. So you were in chapter 1, verse 5. Now go to chapter 5, verse 1. What is now for us to do? What do the children of God do? You may not know this. You may not like this. But this is a fact of your existence. You learned behavior. You watched and imitated somebody else. Most of the time, that's older siblings and parents and grandparents and school teachers, and friends, and peers, you learn from someone else. Now look what God calls you to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. If you're beloved children of God, what does God the Father want his beloved children to do? Be like him. That means the same love he had even when he was killed on a cross. That means the same mercy he had even when entire nations rebelled against his goodness. The same grace to save a race of human beings that their every intention was evil at heart and did wickedness without end. And in his grace, he loved them and provided a way of redemption for them. A way of redemption for his people. 
this is how God wants you to be. So in your actions, in your conduct, it is now time, if you claim to be Christian, if you tell me before or after service, oh yeah, I'm saved, oh, I'm a Christian, oh yeah, then this is what I should see. This is what we should all be seeing. We're imitators of God. And no, you're not going to do it perfectly. No, you're going you're gonna to make mistakes a lot. You're going to fail. You're going to sin. You're going to mess up. You're going to stumble. You're going to land face first. But the real children of God get back up. They say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Lord, lead me. Let us be poor in spirit, needing all things from our Father above and trusting him to provide. I think that's a factor that's missing most of the time. We are so overblessed. I tell you now that if gas goes above $10 a gallon and there's no bread on the shelves, your soul will thrive. Because you will turn to God. You have to. Especially you young people. And I'm sorry if that happens. I really am. We've had it so, so good for so long. If we are the generation to experience great adversity in America, fine, let it come. But woe to you who don't have Jesus Christ. You think the toilet paper shortage was bad? This is bad. For you may lead the most wonderful, exciting, glorious life, but without Christ you will face judgment from God's throne where they will say to you, depart, for I never knew you. The kingdom of heaven is for those who are poor on the kingdom of earth, but rich in heaven. Which citizen of which kingdom will you be? I call you now to leave the kingdom of the earth behind and all its woes and all its temptations and all its callings and run instead out of the camp, out of the gate and suffer with Christ in the same way that he suffered. I want you to be poor. I want you to be poor in spirit, for there's nowhere else to go except the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. Lord, I ask that you would bring a spirit of spiritual poor to our hearts, that we would understand what it means to need you, that my mind would not immediately run to going to the nearest location of goods to be purchased for my comfort. Lord, but instead I would go to you. Lord, I ask that you would plant these seeds in these students tonight. I ask that you would encourage these adults tonight. Lord, I ask that you would bring the Spirit upon us and understand how blessed we truly are, we who are poor in spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.